John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today, my guest, my guest is Travis Ortmeyer. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Doing great. Um, so, could you tell our um, listeners how you got into strongman? You've been you've been in the game for a long time. Um, World strongest man, everything. Uh, can you tell us what what brought you to the to the big dance? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I mean, I guess a little bit of history before that was. Uh, I started working out when I was 11 years old. I saved up that summer uh, mowing lawns and uh, bought my first weight bench. And then uh, it only came with dumbbells and weights. And uh, just a little side note, I needed a bar. So I went in the kitchen and I sawed the end of my mom's broom off and I used that handle <laughs> with my first barbell. But, uh, she wasn't too happy about that. But fast forward uh, nine years, a week before my 21st birthday party, uh, it was August 2nd, 2002. Um, I've been training with a guy named Marshall White, and he made it to World Strongest Man in 2009. He was in group two with Zadrunas and Brian Shaw. Um, anyway, we've been training together for a little while, and uh, I was originally a bodybuilder. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, he was powerlifting. And I had done a couple bodybuilding shows and realized that they kind of suck. No, no offense to any bodybuilders out there, but it's just wasn't for me. Uh, we tried powerlifting, and we ended up picking a meet that had way too many lifters. So they were bombing people out left and right, so they would back up and go home, basically. And uh, he and I were two of the people that bombed out. So powerlifting kind of sucked for me. And then... Uh, he got the idea to do the strongest man. And I remember him coming up to me at the gym one day and said, hey, you know, I found this contest. I'm going to sign up, give it a shot. I said, you mean like those guys on TV? You'll never be that strong. Would you crazy? Nevertheless, he signed up, and me and his training partner, I was going to go up and help him. And I remember the trip up there. The whole way he kept saying how he just didn't want to finish last. He just didn't want to finish last. He, Whatever happened, he just didn't want to take that place. So we're there, signing in. Uh, we're talking to the promoter, and the promoter says, "Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you sign up?" I said, "All right, I'm here. You know what the hell? I'll give it a shot." And then uh, that's when Marshall looked at me and said, "Man, I'm glad you signed up because now, at least now, I know I won't take last." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I didn't know I had a competitive streak in me until that moment right there. That changed my life forever. Uh, but then we competed the next day, and I, I had so much fun doing that competition. I dreamed of those implements every single night for the, sec the next six months. Just like the way the handles felt, you know, the way the taffy smelled, the way the yoke destroyed my back and crushed my soul <laughs> every part of that show and uh you know just a little side note on that marshall did end up making last <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> so, yeah, that, was, that was my intro to strongman i uh, i took fifth and uh you know i did fairly well and, and very poor on some events uh, i remember the yoke was 
650 for 80 feet. And I think I made it 38 feet before I had to stop. It was uh, it was a miserable event for me. But I did load all five stones the first time. And uh, I took second on the Hercules hold behind a guy named Ulf Plath, who's six foot ten Swedish guy living in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was just that, that moment where, uh, and this is kind of an interesting story. The, the background at that point in my life, I uh, was kind of thinking about putting training on the back burner. You know, I was thinking maybe I'll, I'll work more. I was in school full-time, going to college. I was like, maybe I'll just finish, you know, focus on school and work, make as much money as I can, and if I can get to the gym, great. And, uh, you know, it was only like a month or two after I started considering those options. It was like God came down and slapped me and said, nope, nope, this is what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Away I went. The rest of my life became completely focused on strongman. Very cool. Cool stuff. Speaking of stones, um, so you did well in your first stone event, and that that's uh, really kind of set the stage because um, you're really well known for uh, your stone lifting. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how, like, what do you think um, kind of makes you a great stone lifter? And, and just killing that event, did that make you focus a lot on those, or have you just kind of been a natural? Or you know, the, a couple things happened in the right order at the right time for stones. Uh, well, first off, that first show, you know, everything was so new and so just spectacularly awesome. Uh, when I did all five stones, it, it was a different event. You, know, you don't find something like that in the gym. You know, it's uh, it was the closest I had felt to being like those guys on TV. You know, doing something that they were actually doing on TV. And, uh, I just remember how much fun it was. And so I bought it that, um, from the grandfather, the guy who put that first show on. Uh, he made all of my big stones except for my 600. Steve Slater made my 600. But uh, he made all my stones up to 520. But my first set was a uh, 225, 265, 330, and 400. And at the time, there weren't many people lifting the 400. I think Sven Carlton had done it. Hugo Gerard had, uh, well, he had dropped it on himself in a contest in Canada. And, uh, you know, maybe a couple other guys, but I decided I was going to shoot for the moon. That was going to be my event. I just freaking loved it. And then uh, one afternoon I was training with my uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Jim Glassman. And we set the stone run up, and we had barrels to load them on. And I ran through the first three stones, and I went. I almost stepped back to, you know, tacky up. You see how guys step back and they re-tacky their arms, and then they take a breath, and then they go for that last stone. Well, just before I did that, Jim just simply said the exact right thing at the exact right moment. He says, don't think, just do it. And... I, did, I just reacted. I didn't even hesitate. I grabbed the 400 and I threw it right up. And I realized something in that moment. I realized, you know, one, that the hesitation is completely unnecessary. And then two, that because I now have this 
it's, it's almost just people, you know, the, the lack of hesitation. Nobody else was doing that. I knew that I could be the best in the world on that. And that confidence boost is probably what put me to the top in the spell world. Very cool. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> I think the stones, especially the Atlas stone, the, uh, you know, it's a strange type of strength and, um, you know, your hands and wrists and things can be the weak link. I think a lot of people do lose confidence on the stones. If you can build, um, a freaky amount of confidence on the stone, I think that that can really take you up to another level. Um, for sure. I've said this to a lot of people that I train or trained with or whatever over the years. Stones have a way of mind fucking you. Like they have their own intelligence and they're this thought at you saying you can't lift me you can't lift me and if you hesitate you think about it it'll get in your head and it'll screw with you yeah that's what happened with so many people and then once they go down they try to pick it up it starts to slip at all and that's it it's over with yeah you know if you want to do struggles well you have to hit them with kind of a reckless abandon <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd agree with that a hundred percent so let's change gears a little bit uh I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but um, you had a, an ankle injury during a log press event. Um, 24 World Man Finals. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you were doing well in the event up to that point. And, um, I the, first place at that point. Yeah, and the, the flooring um, had uh, it was mats placed together, I think, and it looked like your foot got wedged in between two of the, the stall mats um, during kind of a, a jerk type motion and um, you, you damaged your ankle. Now the hardcore fans um, with, with uh, a lot of uh, Google skills can look and find um, some rumors of what kind of injury you sustained, but the casual viewer, nobody really knew if it was broke or sprained or, or if your knee was also hurt or what, can you kind of tell us what happened there and, and what was going on? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the basic idea of what happened was, you know, I threw it out in front of me a little bit, and I was going to come back down, make a quick recovery, and then, you know, jam it up and back, but trying to slide my foot back under me to catch the weight of the log, uh, that's when it got hung up in that gap between the mats, and uh, I couldn't get my foot under me correctly, and once the weight of the log hit, my ankle snapped. It just kind of rolled over a little, and something in the side of my ankle snapped. I found out later that that was a, uh, it was part of a tendon from one of the peroneus muscles. It actually tore a bit of the bone off and rolled up the side of my leg a little bit. Uh, it was painful, and uh, structurally speaking, it's still, it's still a little bit off compared to my right ankle. But, uh, yes, I mean, technically I broke a chunk of the bone off and tore a tendon. All right, <laughs> time so wow so that so was that that was not an intentional uh uh jerk technique then it was kind of uh more of a stumble or or kind of a last minute hey i need to catch this thing sort of maneuver well the uh the squat jerk i think that's what it's called you know, yeah. kick your legs out to the side that that's a technique i do but i just my balance was a little bit forward when i oh. threw it up and uh yeah, the, the recovery from it was not intentional. That's when my foot got caught. I got you. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of uh, I've I've had uh, people ask me about that uh, incident for for years, and nobody really kind of knew what the extent of the injury was. 
Um, and, and I know ankle injuries can lag on forever. <laughs> it sucked. It sucked. That was a, uh, you know, I guess if we want to go into the next few years of, of where I was mentally speaking, that was the beginning of, of a bit of a downfall for me because I competed that whole next year on that busted ankle. I went to Arnold uh, with it still really, really, really bad shape. And, uh, you know, I, I fought through the pain. I still took fourth at the Arnold in 2011. But it set up the year to be miserable. And by the end of 2011, I, I, I hated the gym. I hated competing. I was just doing it for the money at that point, And I was kind of miserable. Yeah, so that's probably about the time... Um I suspect that you kind you kind of dropped off, and people people weren't really seeing you. You'd spring up here and there, but um, you weren't consistently out there. Is that is that about that period of time? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was among other factors that kind of contributed to a perfect storm of of things that could go wrong in my life. Um, but yeah, I competed through the end of 2012, and that was pretty much it for me. I think. My last show was uh, America's Strongest Man at the end of 2012. Okay. And, uh, and I did do it in the Champions League in 2013, but I trained. I'd only trained for three weeks, and that was like in July of 2013. Uh, I wasn't in any kind of shape to be there. And it was, uh, I mean, if I want to be honest, it was kind of embarrassing for me. It was just a shit show. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even count that competition. I called. 2012 America's Strongest Man. That was the last one. Uh, where, where was where was that competition at? Do you remember? What's that? Where was that America's Strongest Man held? Do you remember? It may have been at the Olympia in 2012. Okay, because there was one around then. I can't remember uh, the year, but it was in, it was actually in West Virginia, and, uh, and 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 I was there in the crowd, but I can't remember the year of that. <clears throat> for America's Strongest Man? Yeah. I think the only time I competed in West Virginia was during World's Strongest Man 2008. Yeah, that was in Charleston. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that must have been 2013 or 2014 when it was in West Virginia. Okay. Cool. Um, so there, there's been some rumor um, around the same time that you kind of disappeared in 2012 or 2013. Um uh, with uh, Giants Live or the World's Strongest Man promotion um, and a squad event, and, and people say you were actually kicked out of there. Is there any truth to that, or what? what is this rumor all about? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I can't go into too much detail, but, but you know, it, it was, uh, I think it was uh, a bit of the injury, a bit of... Uh, you know, it, honestly, in all honesty, I could have done things differently. Uh, I think some of the organization should have been done differently, but, you know, it is what it is. And and we kind of didn't see our guy that year. And, uh, you know, it was at that point my ankle was hurting enough that I was just scratching to get by. And, and we, we deemed it that I just want to retire from the competition that year. Okay. 
yeah, I, I didn't know anything about it. I just heard rumor and, and had no clue. Uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of factors, but yeah, ultimately, you know, it could have been handled differently both ways. But, you know, it is what it is. That was, it was what, World Strongest Man 2011? Yeah, I, I still haven't even watched that episode on uh, TV. I can't bring myself to watch it. <laughs> Well, you're 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 on a comeback trail right now. You've been doing a lot of uh, is that's uh, Strongman Champions League, right? Um, you've been doing yeah. several of their shows and, and doing pretty damn well. Um, can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I uh, well, I guess you know my last contest technically that I was preparing a minute ago was America's Strongest Man 2012, and uh, you know during that I call it the dark period. Uh, it basically went through about four years of absolute hell. And then I got back into training and uh, I, was, I got back into training in January of 2016. And then it was almost two years until I was ready to compete. Because uh, when I started training again, I was the same weight I was at that very first contest I told you about a minute ago, 227 pounds. Oh, wow. So when I say I went through hell, I mean, basically any way you can screw your life up and every bad thing that can happen to you, that was kind of where I was at. But, uh, you know, so it was a five-year period from, from door to door, so to speak, from America's Strongest Man 2012 to America's Strongest Man 2017. And, uh, you know, kind of, oddly enough, that America's Strongest Man 2017 was in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And so that's kind of where I got that, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes. And uh, it's kind of become a mantra for me. Very cool. But, uh, you know, I just slowly and steadily improved little by little every month, every year. And uh, now, last year, I felt like I was really starting to get somewhere in my training, you know, about about a year ago, so April last year. And uh, I hit Marcel up, the guy that runs Champions League, and I said, you know, I, I would really love a chance to compete again. And uh, he was, you know, unsure because uh, there were several guys from my era that were making a comeback at that time, and they, you know, got injured early on in the show. So I see from a promoter standpoint, trying to bring a guy overseas paying 1200 euros for a flight and then have him kind of, you know, cut out early from an injury or something like that. You know, that's rough for a promoter. So I think he was a little hesitant at first and uh, I knew that I was ready. So I went ahead and I found a way to get a ticket and got myself over to Serbia. And, uh, you know, so he more well said, that's fine. Come on. Uh, let's see what you got. And uh, I ended up taking second at that show and basically proved that I was back and ready. Yeah. And so they went ahead and brought me to Romania and then Curacao. And, then, uh, and I made it to the final in Cancun last year. So, you know, I, I had to take a gamble and it paid off. <clears throat> so, for any of you new guys out there who might be listening to this, that's one piece of advice I can give you. 
you know, there's a lot of guys that are ready and are tough that are willing to put themselves out there. But if you're the guy that's willing to take a chance and pay your way to get there and prove yourself, that can pay off you. You know, it might just be worth doing that. Yeah. Or you can run away for an invite. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that, no, I think that's good advice to go, to go get it, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's solid advice for, for any sport, really. I mean, or, or any endeavor. Um, yeah, just go get it. Yeah, that's a, that's good advice. Um, <clears throat> so what do you have? Do you have anything coming up right now that you like any competitions, you know, you're going to do right now? I just did uh, Champions League Turkey. And fortunately, I, uh, I won that show, which has given me the invite or earned me the invite to Champions League Holland, which is the next stop on the Champions League circuit. Well, there, and I continue building points towards uh, making it to the finals this year. That's my big goal this year is I want to win the Champions League finals. I want to win Champions League finals, and I want to do a giant drive and secure a spot to work on with man next year. That's my goal for this year. Very cool. <clears throat> Very cool, yeah. So, how many, uh, how many competitions? Um, do you like to do in a year's time if it's, you know, a perfect storm situation? Well, uh, I mean, if we want to talk about Travis before, I think I did between 15 and 18 a year for like four or five years. Is it 18? And, uh, yeah, I did 18 a couple times. <laughs> That's rough. Especially when most of them, you got to go overseas and then back and then over and back and, I did four or five in a row a couple times during that period. And that, that rough. Um, especially, you know, going overseas and coming back, the time change. You get to a point where you're not even sure what day, what time, where you're at. <laughs> I remember being in an airport. I think I was in Switzerland. And, you know, there's multiple languages being spoken in the airport. And I, I remember looking around not having a clue where I was during this period. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm like, okay, look at the language. Oh, shit, there's German. Oh, there's French. Okay, wait, oh, there's there's English over here. There's, oh, crap. I had to have somebody. And, uh, yeah, it was in Geneva or something. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough when you do multiple contests like that. But I think nowadays, between six and seven is probably going to be good. Maybe eight. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. I think, um, you know, there's a there's a mentality um, with a lot of amateurs, and, and I really find this odd with because it's amateurs where they want to do just one and two shows a year. And it just, I just don't really see, I mean, especially in the amateurs, it's like you, you got to build some experience. You got to, there's just so much benefit to competing a lot. And, um, just, just to waste that much time and, and think that you're training for this one show. I just don't really get it. Yeah, that you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, especially for an amateur, experience is everything. If you're taking all the damn time to train for one show, you're not experiencing shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, just go out and compete. It's, it's strongman. Strongman... You know, for the most part, it's not a maximum effort. It, it's a maximum output. 
you got reps or you got a truck pull or you got a stone series or whatever, but you're not maxing on squat, bench, and deadlift. Right. You know, so you're not frying your system and your nerves. Uh, for something like powerlifting, I think four a year is probably good. Cycle through three th- three months, you know, four times. Yeah. Uh, but you're wrong, man. You can compete once every six weeks, or you can do two in a row. In fact, I recommend doing two in a row because you don't really know what you're made of until you compete the week after you just put everything into a contest and see you know, just what you have left. Right. I mean, that, that, that's awesome. That's <laughs> by fire right there. And yeah. uh, you learn more in those moments than you do in eight months of training. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I did. Um, I did ten uh, sanctioned competitions last year and one unsanctioned, um, and that's the most I've ever done in a year. But that was eleven competitions. And, uh, I did three in September, in the month of September. So um, I, I know what that's you mean. Awesome. That's awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. You you basically mentally prepare yourself for one for months and then it's finish the one do whatever you can to recover or, or mentally prepare yourself within a six day period for that next one yeah and then try and do it again when you're even more beat down for another one after that yeah, yeah that's tough man. <laughs> I work those. yeah yeah well i think it says it says something about the character of a person to be able to do that too i think um and that, that probably um, speaks volumes to the promoters, too, when you go up through the ranks and you become a pro and they're looking for people and they say, hey, this this crazy guy just did two back-to-back. Like, we want that guy. You know, I'm sure that plays a role yeah. in that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it just says that, um, you know, under whatever circumstances, you're there and you can perform. Mm-hmm. And as a promoter, because done some promoting contests, you know, there's two things you want out of your competitor. Well, I have three things you want. One is you want them to be respectful of people in the crowd and, and the spotters and, and, you know, everybody above the other athletes. There's always that. But you want them to be able to perform, and you want them to be able to put on a show. You know, they're, they're, at the end of the day, it's a spectator sport. Right. You want to make it fun for people to watch. <clears throat> Yeah, I think, and a lot of the newer people, I think that they kind of, um, they kind of don't really understand that it is a spectator sport, <clears throat> especially since in the amateur you don't get a lot of um, spectators per se at a show. <clears throat> but if you have, if you're aspiring to make it to the pros, I mean, it, it it's entertainment. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's a sport, Man, but it's entertainment. Promoters want you to come over and show them a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, like the week leading up to a competition and then um, after a competition uh, in, in an ideal situation? Well, the, the week leading up to a contest, um, you know, you, you take it easy. Uh, the, one thing that I've learned how to do or that I find works for me anyway is uh, I will you know, do my normal weekly training and mentally before every workout, I'm going to gear up and be ready for that workout. So in the week before, I keep that mental gearing up 
and I tell myself that I'm going to go heavy as shit. So like Monday and Wednesday, I'm going to do a max squat. I'm going to do a max press. I go in with that attitude. I put 135 on the bar. I squatted 20 times as my normal warm-up. I put 225 on the bar. I squatted 18 times. I put 315 on the bar. I squatted five times. Then I unrack it. In my head, I'm gearing up for an 800-pound squat. So the whole time, when I've got 135 on there, 225 on there, 315 on there, I'm thinking 800 today, 800 today, maximum freaking effort. My body is starting to gear up and it's getting ready for that. Then I strip it at 315 and my body's all of a sudden left with like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I've got all the energy. Uh, what, what are we going to do? Is that it? I mean, and uh, I find that that helps bring out any deep soreness and, and speed the recovery at uh, you know a deeper level mm-hmm. than just doing some light workout without much intention behind it. Yeah. I think that's everything. The intention behind the workout really sets the tone for how much your body is going to prepare itself. And uh, when you go to the means to heal, and that's one of the important ones, I think, uh, the body will heal and you'll be even stronger come Saturday or Sunday or whatever day your contest is. Very cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people go through uh, the motions on some stuff. Like, you know, they'll they'll write something down, and then it's more like a list. Like, oh, I just have to do this. But but you're right. There. Yeah. Yeah. But there should be an intention or a goal or, you know, everything on that list you should be doing for a purpose with a purpose. Yeah. And, I mean, that's true before a contest, but that's also true for every every training day you do. Yeah. I mean, even even after a contest, and I realize you, you did ask me about what I do post-contest, um, I try to go to the gym, say, uh, for instance, when I got back from Turkey, I got back midnight Sunday night, I went to the gym on, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, with the intention of training heavy. Now, I stopped myself before I did train heavy, but I was trying to mentally get that fire going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt by Thursday, I felt ready to push again. I pushed pretty heavy Thursday and I pushed pretty heavy Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt ready for it. I felt prepared. You know, whereas in the past, uh, in, in my previous life, <laughs> uh, I would sit on my ass for a week after a contest. And then I'd have to knock the rust off the following week. And so basically, we're taking two weeks instead of just half a week to get back up training speed yeah that's that's very cool but i think you also have to know um your body pretty well to pull that off i would imagine um or have a good coach yeah that that knows the routine and uh you know that's something i've learned is coaches need coaches everybody needs a coach because i can i can program that kind of stuff for people but then when it comes to me, I usually get in my own head and I'm like, oh no, I can do this or I should do that or I'm supposed to be blah, blah, blah. Whereas I have a coach who comes in and says, knock that shit off. You're stopping here. Yeah. Or pick your shit up. We're doing more. With, you know, <laughs> I can't uh, second guess him, but I can second guess myself. Very cool. Cool stuff. 
So, um, speaking of recovery, um, you have a, a recovery tool that um, you're, you've been using? Oh, yeah. Sound vitality. It's uh, so it's uh, infrasonic sound waves, which means below, you know, the level that we can hear at. Okay. Uh, but you can kind of feel the pulses from it. It's like a really, really, really deep wave. Uh, it's kind of a subtle energy that comes out of it. It's a subtle feeling. But what I've noticed through consistent use is if I, I say I squat. I'll put it on my knees for 10 minutes each, each side. Okay. And uh, whereas I would be you know, achy for a couple days, I find that the next day I'm going down a flight of stairs and whereas I would, you know, I'm hesitant thinking that my knees are going to hurt a little, I've got no pain. You know, I feel great. Uh, it also works, uh, I sleep with the thing under my pillow. And oh, this wow. is kind of a cool note. Um, so I didn't, I don't normally dream, or at least I don't remember my dreams, but this thing pulses at a wave. Uh, it's got three settings. I think one of them's uh, the beta, the alpha, and the gamma or delta. I can't remember exactly which ones, but uh, the same frequency as your brain wave. So when I have the thing under my pillow, I have the wildest, most vivid dream. I wake up feeling awesome the next day. Oh, that's so, very cool. <laughs> I don't know the science behind that part, but it's a cool little feature of it. <clears throat> Very cool. That's called sound vitality. Um, and and where sound do you? Vitality. Yeah. Where do you get that at? It's uh, soundvitality.com, and uh, I can post a, a link. Um, I can post it on my Instagram, and I'll probably post it on my Facebook. I'm not sure how to put it on Facebook, but. Uh, you know, I can send it to you if that'll work. Yeah, that would um, be great. But at the link, you can click uh, the link, and it goes for me. On one hand, it makes me look good because they do kind of sponsor me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd like working with them because I actually like their products. Uh, but I think the link will uh, take you directly to the page where the infratonic is and the stuff that I use personally. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you're also doing some, uh, online coaching now. Can you tell us about that? And how, how do people contact you if they want to do that? Yeah, I, uh, so I've been, you know, personal training is kind of a side job for uh, like 12 or 13 years. Um, but I find that, you know, I, there's a limited number of people in the immediate area that, uh, that want to do strongman training or that, uh, you know, I can, that I have the time to take in. What I do now, I do it online. You know, I write out the programs and then uh, I do a weekly phone call with them. And that way it's kind of geared specifically towards each individual. And I also do diet coaching, um, you know, coaching on therapy, prehab, rehab. Uh, I've got some guys who've had previous injuries that we not just work around, but help fix. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do this online. Um, you know, if, wanna, if people want to contact me, um, 
either on Facebook, you know, through messaging, or uh, Instagram, uh, just my name, Travis underscore Hortmeyer. Uh, they can just direct message me on there. Um, but that way I can work with people around the world. And, you know, I've got several clients that are in foreign countries. And it just makes it, you know, kind of cool. It decreases the size of the world. And it increases the amount of people that I can work with. <clears throat> yeah, that's really uh, cool. The more people I work with, the more I learn and the more it benefits everybody else that I take on as a client. So I think I'm really starting to build up some steam on that. And I've got a lot of success with my guys so far. Very cool. Well, we'll put a link up to your uh, Instagram page as well and um, maybe get some people your way. Um, So if you had any, uh, any more advice for um, amateur uh, strong men and strong women, um, what do you think the number one piece of advice would be? Uh, For an amateur, we're starting out. The best advice I can give you is, you know, find a training group, or at least now there's so much online resources. You know, get an idea of how to do the events. Find a contest. You know, put those events up on your fridge or on your mirror in your bathroom or somewhere you're going to read them every day. That way it becomes ingrained in your subconscious. And then uh, enjoy training for it. You know, come up with a plan. Do a periodized progression. And then, you know, if you don't really know how to do that kind of thing, find a coach. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, on that context, set a couple goals. Make sure they're realistic. Make sure they're attainable. And uh, go and have fun. Just go and expect to have fun. I've never been around a group of people that's more badass and friendly than strongman competitors. And that goes for the women as well. When I say strongman, I mean strongman, strong woman. The people that compete in this sport are second to none when it comes to just being there for each other. You know, and that's true all the way at the top. From my very first contest to competing with Gladys Arnold. I remember Misha Kukliat loaning me his belt and wrist wraps for the dumbbell at the uh, Arnold 2007. Oh, wow, that's pretty <laughs> I mean, cool. It's, <laughs> it's a sport full of great people with big hearts. Yeah. Go and expect to have fun. And then put on a show. Have fun, man. That's that's the best advice I can give anyone. Very cool. All right. Well, we're about out of time. I want to thank you very much for uh, taking the time out of your day to talk to us here. It's been uh, very informative. I definitely would love to have you back on uh, later on um, in the season here and touch back with you and um, especially see what's that. What'd you say? I said, I appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, I'd like to touch back and see, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure you'll be kicking ass over in the Strongman Champions League. I'd like to touch back and see how that goes and um, and then, you know, talk about your prep for Worlds because uh, I'm sure you'll be on your way. Let's hope so, man. <clears throat> I appreciate that. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, thank you again. Um, <clears throat> this has been John the Viking Mauser with Travis Ortmeyer. Get strong or die.